Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisnan. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood. Relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, AR Nation. I've got a quick announcement I'd like to share with you. It's about an incredibly powerful, high-ticket marketing community that I'm a proud member of. It's called the Super Affiliate Accelerator. This program's absolutely for you if you want to be successful online. Whether you're a beginner looking to get started with an online business, and also if you already have an online business but struggling to reach your goals. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is run by three experienced and amazing coaches. Between the three of them, they've sold millions of dollars in products and services online across all different industries. Why I find the Super Affiliate Accelerator so powerful is because of its unique all-in-one blend of a proven training program, weekly coaching and mentoring from an amazing group of accomplished internet marketers, and a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. For a limited time, the SAA coaches are offering a complimentary business strategy call. So whether you're a coach or consultant, if you provide professional services, or if you just want to start an online business, but you're confused or overwhelmed with where or how to start, I invite you to check out this incredible program, the Super Affiliate Accelerator. And you can learn more today by visiting richardkistnan.com forward slash SAA. Again, that's richardkistnan.com forward slash SAA. Now, let's get to today's amazing episode. Hello there, friends. How's it going? Welcome back to the Adulthood Revisit Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Kiston. So glad that you can be here with me. So very thankful and grateful wherever you are in the world, doing whatever it is you may be doing, spending your time, energy with me. I love it, love it, love it. Uh, where are we? We're in the midst of, we're in the middle of September. Holy moly. This year, at the time of this recording, this year has gone by a little too fast, but maybe it couldn't go fast enough based on everything that we've, we've been enduring and experiencing through the year. But uh, again, hopefully you're doing well. I'm super excited to introduce my guest on this episode today. She's a friend. She's a colleague in a networking group that I'm a part of. Um, so without further ado, Michelle Dana, how are you? And welcome to the Adulthood Revisit podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, so, and I'm yeah, well. Super great to have you. Michelle is a, a payroll and HR consultant here uh, in the tri-state area, but you work, you service companies all across the country with Paycor. Um, anyways, I, I won't. I'll, I'll turn that over to you and yield the floor if you want to share a little bit of who you are, your background, Michelle, and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, so I definitely don't have a linear background, so it's not easy for me to just say, "Oh yeah, I graduated and I've been in the HCM industry for 15 years." That's not my story at all. Um, but I am in the HCM industry, which is human capital management which is payroll, HR, basically anything that filters through how companies manage their employees. So how they're getting paid, how they're compensated, how their taxes are paid, but also anything that comes out of that. So health insurance deductions, um, anything that has to do with how companies are managing their employees. That's basically what our industry is. Um, I've been in that industry for about going on four years now. I'm with Paycor, um, and we service clients that are really 
anywhere from around 50 to about 750. That's really our sweet spot of employee count all across the country. So that's who we are and what we do. Um, but I actually started my career as a high school English and theater teacher um, to a bunch of years ago. I'm not going to say how many I almost was going to, but I'm, I'm not going to share that. But it was a while ago. Um, and I started as, as a teacher and was in the teaching industry for about seven years um, before I made the switch. And then was working um, for small companies and startups, helping them do marketing and doing some of their content and their copy and really helping them tell the story of their companies. And then made the transition into payroll sales because a good friend of mine said, hey, the way that you work with small businesses, I think you'd be really good at talking to them about how, how they can up their game basically and how they deal with their employees. So I thought, all right, well, I taught English and now you want me to do payroll. And that sounds like a lot of numbers. So I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm your girl, but I met the team and I met my, my to be boss. And I really liked what he had to say about the way they worked with people. And I said, okay, let me give it a try. If I don't like it, I can always do something else. Um, and I tried it and I really, really loved it. And then four years later, here I am still in it, still loving it. And uh, it was definitely, if you had asked me like when I graduated high school or college, like, oh, you're gonna be selling HCM for Paycor, I would have been like, you, no, no, that's not me. But here we are, so you never know. <laughs> well, if, if you don't mind, let's actually go there and jump back to whether, whether you wanna to go to high school or college, because I, I feel like at least the people in my life who are educators, like there was, there's a long period of decision-making before that to then do that. If you, if you take us back to high school and college, again, whatever starting point you want to go from, like what, what did you see yourself doing and what do you think out of, again, high school, college, you would be doing moving yeah. forward? So it's funny. I actually was going through some of my old stuff um, at my parents' house and I came across this like keepsake box of all the like interesting things and cards that I had gotten and letters or any kinds of like fun accolades. It's like a rainy day box. You're having a bad day. You go through it. And I came across this thing that I wrote for my guidance counselor, my sophomore year. And it was like, what are your hobbies? What are you passionate about? What do you want to do? And it's really funny because a lot of it still lines up with what I do today, but so I'm like, all right, cool. At least I've been honest to myself since I was 16 years old, at least. But um, one of the things says, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what do you want to do? And it said, I want to teach high school. And it said, I want to teach high school, either English or history and continue to be in theater and play soccer, which is funny because I did teach for a long time and I still play soccer up until this pandemic. Um, but really I, I wanted to be a teacher. It was my calling from like dropping out of the womb. It was like, I'm going to play soccer and I'm going to teach. It was like, that's, that was Michelle Dana. What do you think in retrospect, right? If, and if you could think, maybe place yourself back at that time, what about teaching like an amateur? you? I like that moment when you can help somebody else get to the point where they go, oh, and it clicks for them. And like something about their own personal experience with the world and the outside world connects. And they realize that something that they've been feeling or experiencing or not quite understanding where there's a disconnect for them finally connects to something bigger. Um, whether that's an idea or the universal experience of humanity or somebody else's experience or seeing somebody else's perspective where they've been so used to seeing, you know, something over here and now something else connects and they can see it from another view. Um, anytime that there's that spark of, oh, I got it, and they can connect it and then kind of make it their own knowledge and experience. That for me, I, 
even in like my conversations with my friends, um, I find that to be inspiring and kind of like what I think always progresses the world forward when you can make that connection. Um, that is what inspires me about teaching. Jump, if you can, jump now to the actual experience of teaching, right? There was a lot of work. There's, it's almost like a lot of work, and correct if I'm wrong, and sort of fortune to end up, were you, let me take a step back. Were you teaching New York City public high school? Or where? What kind of high school were you teaching? New Jersey public schools. I started my career in West Windsor Plainsboro, which is down near Princeton. Um, it's one of the top districts in the state, actually, a really, really great school. Um, I did my student teaching there, which I was very fortunate to do. Did my student teaching there. They hired me out of my student teaching. And then I ended my career uh, in Randolph, which is in Northwest Jersey, also a great school district. Um, really good, really good resources there too. So leading up to that, right, you like coming out of college, probably, I, I, I don't know what the, the, the education tenure track is, but you're starting off, you get these, again, it's seemingly great opportunities to teach in these school districts that, you know, so other people would maybe like kill for or whatever it is. I don't want to say kill for, but whatever, you know, very fortunate positions. Like take me through that experience early on and then maybe towards in contrast versus the tail end of your tenure there. And what, what were you experiencing that then made you decide maybe, maybe there's something else for me? Yeah. So I was actually really, really lucky. I went to Ryder University, um, which is in central Jersey. As you guys can tell now, at this point, I'm a Jersey girl, right? Everything I do is I, I bleed Jersey, right? Um, but, <laughs> um, but I went to Ryder and their education program was excellent. They actually placed us in schools um, like from sophomore year on. So right away, our education program, we were working in different districts. And I had worked in Plainsboro earlier in my career as a, as a college student. And just, I really liked the way their district approached education. I liked their administration. I liked their mission statement. I liked everything that they were doing aligned with what I was doing. So I got really lucky um, that I got chosen to do my student teaching there as well. And then when they hired me, it was good because they saw that the way I taught and the way I approached students in education was in line with what they were doing. Um, Unfortunately, I got laid off in 2010 when they did those massive cuts in the, in the state budget for education. Um, I was the only one in the department who was non-tenured and they had to lay off um, one teacher in every department in each school. And I was the only one non-tenured, so it had to be me. You know, it, my supervisor walked into my classroom at the end of the day one day with this look on her face and I was like, I, okay, I know what you're, I'm like, come on, sit down and fire me, it's okay. <laughs> You know, and it was just an unfortunate situation. Um, but it was one of those things where I said, you know what, I'm, I'm young, I don't have kids, I, I haven't been here for a long, long, long time. It's better me than somebody else who's in a different position. Um, but basically, I, I left teaching for a little bit right then, because I had the most popular degree. Right. I taught high school English, which is the most common degree to have in all of education. And I said, it's me in a pool of all these other people who just got laid off. I'm like, I'm never going to get a job. So I went and got certified in public speaking and in theater, which I had a bunch of experience in and started working as an actor for a bit and then went back into education shortly after and said, hey, I have all this additional experience and I have that degree and I worked in Plainsboro. Now I'm a lot more you know, attractive as, a, um, as an employee. And I got hired in Randolph to lead their theater program and work in their district. And the thing, and again, another great school. And again, I was getting let go at the end of my time there for basically at another time when they were doing a whole bunch of other types of changes in the school. 
And I said, you know what, I can work really, really hard and get laid off for something that's out of my control. But I can also work really, really hard and get laid off again for something that's out of my control. And it was one of those things where teaching is supposed to be something that you have a little bit of longevity in, like you get tenure, this district's going to protect you, you have a union, you have all these things, and it wasn't happening. And I was like, it was a little bit disheartening, to be honest. And at that time, the teaching profession was really getting attacked. The pension was being cut and it was being threatened. Um, the benefits, we used to not have to pay for our benefits. So it would kind of supplement the fact that we had a very low salary and, um, but we would have great benefits and not have to pay for them. Then we had to start paying into them more and more and more and more. Then they were telling us we had to take pay freezes and the steps changed for when you got a raise. And then all this testing came in and all this accountability, extra accountability came in and all this additional paperwork and all this additional assessments that we had to give to our students. And it was just more and more and more and more and more for less and less and less and less and less. And there was a less ability to go into your classroom and say, hey, I have these 25 kids in front of me. I'm the expert. I'm the one who went through all the training in the classes and has all the experience. I know what's best for these kids. And I couldn't do that anymore. It was all of that kind of, the, the power of that creativity and knowing your kids was being taken away from us. And I was like, I don't like the direction this is going. I don't like the way they're telling us to teach our kids. I don't like the way they're treating us as employees, as teachers, as educators, right? And I said, I have the opportunity to try to change my career path. And I said, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna try to do it. And if I fail, I can always go back because I know I'm a marketable teacher because of my experience. And if I don't hate it and I, I can stay in that world, then I'm gonna stay in that direction. Um, so I said, I'm gonna take a risk. I'm gonna try it for a year not being an educator. And uh, I'm still not an educator. So I guess it was a good risk. Um, but I just, I didn't like the way, the direction it was going in. And my mom's a second grade teacher still. And I, I as hard as it is to not be an educator, I know it was the right choice. Um, and it, it kills me sometimes that I'm still not teaching. But I know it was the right choice. And I still get to kind of scratch the itch of, of helping people through stuff. But it's, uh, it, was, it was definitely a risk. <laughs> for I sure. wanted to, like, as you were sharing that, I wanted to ask you about, about that, playing a little like Monday morning quarterback. Um, no, you've, all, you've, you've gone on the last few years doing other things and obviously thrived in that setting. Um, but looking back, is there something, and you kind of just touched on it a little bit, but maybe you want to explore a little more. Is, is there any part of you that wishes, again, going back to whatever year it was, 2013, 2014, maybe, um, that things would have turned out differently? Like just, just that teaching would have worked out or it, you know, for some people it could be like, it, it was what it was and, and that's fine by me. You know, it, that's what it is because I, um, I loved it and there's nothing that I'll ever do that really that will like touch my teaching experience. Um, I know I made a difference in the lives of the kids that I work with and they still reach out to me. They're adults now. They're teaching. They have jobs. I see them on the subway when I'm commuting to this, when I used to commit, commute to the city, you know, in their like suits, which was always kind of funny. I'm like, I had you, you were 13 and now you're like taller than me wearing a suit. What? You know, so I still see my students, my, I still call them my kids. And they still reach out to me and I still help them through stuff. And it's like, it's, it's a very unique experience being able to do that. And I, I wouldn't change that for the world. And I know like that was my calling was especially to help high school kids. And I'm sure I'll be able to do it at some other way in my life. But again, the way that we were treated makes it, I don't want to say not worth it, 
but I'm glad that I made the change into doing something else because what I'm doing now and the way that we were being treated, I just feel so much more valued as, as a person um, with a brain and a heart, you know what I mean? Then being able to use those two to do my job and know I'm doing the right thing by my, by my own standards. Um, and I don't, I wouldn't have changed leaving, but I do wish that for everybody else who's still in education, because it is a calling and it is a hard job and it is a lot of work and it takes a lot out of you because you feel for these kids and their families. You know, it's so much more than just like, oh, I'm going to use my brain. It, you're, you're using your soul really to connect to these other little people. Um, and it's a calling and it's hard. And I do wish that it was different because there's so many people in it who I have conversations with people all the time who are like, how did you do it? How did you make the decision to leave? Because they, they want out because it's, it's a hard place to be right now. And not that other work isn't hard, but it's heartbreaking to be in the industry right now. And that's really the truth. That's the truth that teachers don't talk about. And that's before COVID. That's like before any of the stuff that's going on now. Um, yeah, so I do wish it was different. I wish it was different for, for me. I wish it was different for my mom. I wish it was different for my friends who are still in it because um, it's heartbreaking, but I don't, I don't ever regret leaving because I, I'm a happier all over human. I'm a happier Michelle Dana because I left teaching, even though Michelle Dana also loved being a teacher. If that makes, that's like a long-winded answer to that question. <laughs> I could talk about this for hours, so. <laughs> It'll work, we'll figure it out. Um, when you need to, because <laughs> I'll go on. So I actually want to turn now to that decision, right? Where you're like, all right, teaching is not working out for any number of circumstances, any number of reasons. And you've got this opportunity to like go into marketing and whatnot. And tell, if, you can, if you can think back to that time and a time point in place where you said, you know, I'm going to do it. And the reason, like, what were you experiencing? Because a lot of the listeners and even a lot of the guests that I've had on here have at some point had that point of inflection where... They, they probably had a job, had a career, but something didn't work out or something wasn't feeling right. And then you have to make that risk to, you know, it's not a stable, like what is theoretically teaching pension job or healthcare job, right? Where everything, once you're in there, like you're set, what was that feeling like diving into something that's private sector, you're dealing with small businesses that's so volatile. How was, how was all of that? What's even more, more than that, I, I was freelancing and I had moved home actually to the place where I am right now. <laughs> I had moved home and I had, so it was good because I was like, okay, at least if this fails, I'm not going to be homeless because <laughs> I'm mooching off my parents. <laughs> so I was really, really lucky that it just, I had moved home earlier, like a year earlier to save some money and whatever. And so I was really, really, really lucky that I was here. And also the year prior, I was, um, I had started to do some, some blogging and some freelance marketing for small businesses. So I started blogging for other companies and started to help them with their, um, their marketing content. So I kind of had started already before I left teaching. And I said, and again, I was just like, I have to try because I had gotten enough um, of a reputation, enough clients and enough of my work was being published in different um, outlets and different places that I said, at least I have enough behind me now that I could actually go out and not be starting from scratch. Um, so I was like, I can at least try. And again, I was like, if I fail miserably, I can one bartend because I had bartended previously. I could be a substitute teacher because I obviously have the experience and all the credentials. And I was like, you know, and again, I'm not gonna be homeless if I fail. So I was really lucky that I had, I had that safety net of living here. Um, 
and that I had a backup plan always, 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 always. That I was like, if this fails, I know that I can at least make money doing these other things, so I'm safe. And that's how I did it. I said, you know, I want to try, and if it fails, I have a backup plan. So it allowed me to try and actually take the leap because I had the safety net, but I created my safety net basically. As you were freelancing, what what was that like? Um, may, I, and, I, and I share this one because I, as a lawyer running my own office, yeah. it's it's similar, right? I, yeah, sure, I have like law office of Richard Kiston, but it's freelancing, right? I I, I, I eat when people pay me. Um, <laughs> so what was what was that experience like? And you know, maybe leading up to the opportunity that came up in in payroll thereafter. So it was a hustle, and you'll know this. Like you go to every networking event you talk to every person who somebody wants to introduce you to you are not shy and richard i know you know this that's why i'm like you will understand like you just have to go in and put yourself in front of people and be like hi i'm richard kiston or hi i'm michelle dana i have something to offer you um or i I have a question to ask you and you can't be afraid to shake somebody's hand walk into the room and ask the question and that i've never been i've never had a hard time doing that (laughs) So that, but that's what you have to do, especially when you're beginning, because nobody knows who you are and nobody understands what your credibility is. And especially if you're not right out of college and it's not your degree, like for me saying, Hey, I'm a high school English teacher, but let me write your website content. And it's not going to sound like, you know, Charles Dickens. I actually can write like a modern person. You know, it's, it was um, a little bit of a, that was a little bit of a hill to cross over because people think that when you are, especially an English teacher, that all you can do is write essays. And I'm like, no, I, I actually do like to write as a human being and not like, you know, <laughs> an 11th grade student. Um, that was a little bit of a hill to climb over, but like freelancing, you, you, have, you just have to hustle. You have to go for it. You have to know what's different about you and what, what makes you worth the investment or somebody else's time because they're busy and you can't be afraid to ask the question. Um, but after a while, I was like, you know, I really miss having health insurance benefits. <laughs> And it's I, a real thing. It's a real yeah. thing. And I was like, you know, I sort of wish I had, I knew a little bit more about savings and I used to have a pension and a 403B and that was all great. And now I have nothing and I didn't know how to set it up. So it's kind of like, oh crap, <laughs> maybe I need a big girl job again. <laughs> so I, I ended up with the opportunity to go into payroll um, just because I had, I had, this is like a very tiny spurt. I ended up working for a makeup company and was doing their sales and marketing. They hired me to do marketing, but realized like, oh, we want to put you in front of people to talk to people. Cause one, again, I'm not shy and I'm not afraid to ask people for their time. <laughs> so they're like, we're also going to put you in our sales department. So I kind of fell into sales by the necessity of that company that I was marketing for. Um, and that company was closing down and they were reopening. I helped them do the reopen, but I was like, this company is a mess, hot mess on the actual business side. And in that transition is when my friend was like, why don't you come and interview for Benefit Mall, which is the first payroll company that I worked for. Small business payroll company is working with all small to mid-sized businesses. And she said, those are the companies you're used to working with. Those are the ones that you've been marketing for. That's the company you've been working for. And it's the companies that you've been pitching towards. She's like, you have the experience with how to do B2B. Why don't you actually do it in like a real big girl setting? Like put your big girl pants on and get a job, <laughs> basically. Um, and I did. That's how I ended up. That's how I ended up in payroll. But I loved the company. And again, it was the same thing as why I went to Plainsboro. 
I liked their mission and I liked what their values were and I liked the way they approached their client. Um, and so that I was like, that I could get behind. I don't know what you're selling. I don't really know what payroll is. I know I've been on a payroll and that's about it, but I like what you're selling and I like the way you're selling it. So tell me how to sell it and I'll do it. <laughs> like, this is basically it. Teach me the product. I'll sell it. Let me ask you. So before we get to like your experience at benefit mall and, and then moving on to Paycor, mm-hmm. I'm always curious about like, I know in my life, there are certain points, discrete points and experiences where I could not be who and where I am today, if not for these occurrences. Do you think, and, and the, I bring this up and ask you this because I feel like hearing your story and, and you know, the timeline of it, was this point here, working for this company, seeing this hot mess, and then your, your friend saying, hey, th- there's an opportunity that you may want to consider. Like, would all of that, do you think that would have occurred? This is kind of woo Do you think you still would have received that opportunity had you not experienced everything prior to that? No. Being let go from teaching, the, the difficulties? No chance. So the backstory to all of that, right? Because this all sounds like a great linear story, even though it's all over the place. It sounds like, oh, this all happened so easily for her. That's a lie. So I had actually, going way back, I had actually been engaged, left the engagement right before I stopped teaching. So the year that I got late, let go the second time from teaching, um, I had also moved out of my apartment, moved out of an engagement, moved home with my parents, lost my job. Like all of these things happened within a, within 10 months of each other. So my whole, at, and I was turning 30 that same year. So you want to talk about a kick in the pants, like that's it. Right. And then all of a sudden you're 30, you're jobless, you're homeless, you're single. And you're like, Oh my God, but this is 30. What happened? Like, this is not what people said it would be. Right. So my whole life got turned upside down, but every time something ended, it, for me, it looked like a whole world had been opened up, right? Between getting out of a bad relationship and all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I have the ability to rebuild my life, right? Because we were getting married, that's a commitment. And I no longer had that. So I was able to find something, a better life for myself. Leaving teaching, which was also turning toxic, I was like, okay, I have the opportunity to build a better career for myself. I had moved home, which gave me the ability to save money to have a better financial future for myself. And eventually, you know, I moved into the apartment that I live in now that I adore this apartment. I never would have been there had I not gone through all those other things. Um, And then I had started dating a guy when I had moved to Hoboken who introduced me to my friend who was the one who introduced me to Benefit Mall. So had I not gone through that breakup, I never would have met that other guy who never would have introduced me to my friend, who never would have introduced me to Benefit Mall. I'm no longer with that guy, still friends with the person who introduced me to Benefit Mall. So it's all like all the bad things have left and I'm left with all the good. (laughs) But all of those things tie into each other and nothing that I have now. I mean, I love my life. I love my job. I love my friends. I love my apartment. None of those things would have ever come about if any of those other monumental things that at the time were catastrophes, right? Or seemed like it. None of these things that I have would have happened if those other things didn't happen. Um, and none of those doors would have opened for me. Or I wouldn't have kicked down any of those doors, I should say, because let's be real. <laughs> do, you, 
in looking at those experiences and lessons, and this is something that I, I, I think I struggled with for a long time, to be very, very honest. I don't think I've, I've shared this with too many people, but I've had my own shares of financial issues, health issues, relate, all, all the issues. And it's kind of the same thing when I was like, what's that? Because you're a human being? Because I'm a human being. Um, and I struggle with that because I, I think like, it's easy to look at other people and say, how come my, like, I, there were, there were, there was a long period of my life where I said, I'm tired of being tested. Did you feel that way as, as these things were occurring or, or again, yeah. if, if you could create a phrase to what, what you would call your life during this period, right before, let's say benefit more. Oh, what, what would you say? yeah. So you know that phrase when they're like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know that phrase? I remember I was coming off the path train one day and I was thinking about it and I literally was like, how strong do you need me to be? Like, how much stronger do you need me to be? Because if it keeps making me stronger and it hasn't killed me yet, I feel like titanium at this point. And like, I'm good. Like, I, I think I could use a little bit of a softer side. I don't think I need to be fortified anymore. Like, I think I'm good. And I remember having that thought in my head, but then it's like, you know, then you go through it and you, what you go through, you grow through, you know, like all these things that I repost on Instagram every day, like, you know, but it's true. It's all true. And it's, but I remember thinking that one day is how strong exactly do you need me to be? Because <laughs> like, I think I'm good. It's not... <sighs> 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 all right. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's shift to now benefit more. Like all of a sudden this opportunity arises. Um, you, you've, you've had to to grow through and go through and grow through what you've been through. Uh, now it's a, it's a brand new start, except now you're at a place where you're not freelancing, but you're not tied down to like a pension job for, for like, what was it like going to benefit mall? And especially early on, because this is maybe your first time, like freelancing is sales for yourself, but now you're doing sales for someone else and at the organizational level. So what was that like early on with benefit mall? So, not only did I get introduced to the company, I got introduced by their number one seller in the country was the one who said, Hey, I want you guys to take a risk on this teacher who taught English and loves Shakespeare, but she could totally sell payroll, take a risk on her, which nobody would do that in most circumstances, right? Like I was totally underqualified for this job, but I met my boss and my boss was like, no, there's something about you that I like. So basically they took a major risk on me. And I said, I can't let them down because one, they're seeing something in me and I have this great opportunity to turn around the train wreck that's been, you know, what's been going on in my life, right? Um, I have the opportunity to turn that around here. And I said, I can't fail. So basically, Richard, I busted my ass, busted my ass to do well in this job. I asked every question of anybody who was successful. I noticed that um, our two top salespeople in our company or that were in our office, but also they were top in the country. They were both in BNIs, which is how you and I met. And I said, I need to get in a really great BNI. And I basically just paid attention to what everybody else was doing that was making them successful and took whatever worked for me and just like asked questions, learned, read everything that they would give me that I could learn um, and just got myself in front of as many people as I could and then said, I need help doing this. Like, hey, I got this far on my own, but I need your help to get over the, you know, the finish line. And I found out really quickly that if you're willing to put the work in and you can get so far that other people will come in to like help you close the deal. 
you know, that's what I've learned in sales is like, if I can get in front of people and get somebody on the other end who's interested, bring in your closers if you can't close yet until you have the competence to do it, then, you know, obviously you're closing your own business. But right in the beginning, I was like, hey, boss, I'm bringing all these opportunities to the table. Can you help me close them? And he was like, you, you got all those people to say yes to a meeting to you? And I said, yeah. And he was like, okay, if that's the hard part, you know, right? In sales, it's the hardest part is getting somebody on the phone and agreeing to meet with you, you know? And so I was like, I could do that. I could get people interested. I can get people engaged, right? That's teaching. I got 16 year olds excited to come and read Shakespeare. Like I can get people excited about something. Like we got this, let's go. And that's, that's what I did. I literally just ran as fast as I could to get as many people to meet with me as possible. And then as I did that, learned payroll and just, I, I, I said, I know I have this opportunity and I can't, I can't fail. So I didn't. What was, what would you say in retrospect was the, the, maybe one of the biggest obstacles or challenges because sales is not easy, right? No. And uh, again, you're coming from a teaching background, freelancing for a while, but like, what were, what were those bumps, those initial bumps and bruises like? And, and what would you say if you, if you can identify an obstacle or, or challenge that you, you dealt with for a while? What was that? I think honestly, for me, it was more the content itself of actually learning to what payroll was and what payroll tech is. Um, because I had worked in different, I didn't realize it, but I had really worked in different sales jobs, like back in high school and college. Um, I worked the front desk at a gym, but we were selling training and I didn't even realize that that's technically sales. I worked for a company one summer where I walked around North Jersey and knocked on doors and got people to donate money for open space in New Jersey, the most overdeveloped <laughs> probably part of the country. Right. Um, but I did all these things and didn't realize that that was sales. So it was for me getting in front of people and saying, Hey, I want to listen to what your problems are and what your concerns are. And let me see if I can help you was something I've always been really good at. So the sales part of it, I could do as far as that went, the content I didn't know, so I had to learn what I was selling. And then also the business side of it. So my dad was a salesman and grown up with the business language in my head. But the first time I had to do a business plan, how to put together a business plan for the year, I walked into my boss's office and I, I adore my boss. He's my mentor. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He has really, really helped me become, <laughs> become a professional salesperson. But I walk in with my business plan and I basically wrote it out like a lesson plan. It was like, my objective is blah, 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 blah. Like when you do a lesson plan, like students will be able to, and it's like very expositional. Like it's, it's just like really, really wordy. And he's listening to me and he's being very polite. <laughs> He's nodding his head and I finished and I was like, okay, that's my plan. And he's like, all right, Michelle, listen, I'm going to be really honest with you. And I was like, okay. And I'm expecting like, this is so great. This is so well, he was like, Michelle, this sucks. And I was like, what? He's like, you have no concrete numbers in here. He is like, you have no like real data points in here. He's like, this sucks. He's like, it sounds great. He's like, but this doesn't mean anything to me. He's like, I'm never going to read that. He's like, you wrote me a novel. And I was like, well, yeah. So he was, he showed me how to do one. And then he's like, now basically he was like, now go back and like redo your work and bring it back up to the teacher. And like, I went back with like my tail between my legs, but then I, I did my thing and I was like, oh, I'm going to nail this. Oh, I'm going to nail this. I was like, this is going to be the best business plan he's ever seen. Like, that's just how I do things only slightly competitive. So I redid my business plan and I really did it the, like the way he showed me, but then took it to a whole nother level. And I like laid it on down on his desk the next day. And he was like, Oh, 
that's much better, much better. And the next year, like I did it again and I, now I knew what I was doing. And he said to me, uh, the last business plan that I had done like two years later, he was like, I'm really proud of you. He's like, this was, this, you've come a long, long way. So now I'm at my new job and I have to give them, a, they're like, oh, time to do a business plan. And I was like, I got this. And like, I just had all the confidence in the world. And when I presented it to them, they were like, oh, this is really great. This is a really well thought out, like concrete, but flexible business plan. So it took like the business world that my boss had taught me and took my Michelle way of doing things and kind of married them together. And it worked, but like, man, that was a struggle in the beginning. You you are the you are now the student with the to do aim to do lesson for the day. Literally, like I got it back. It was like see me, and I was like, oh god, like in big red pen. I was like, oh no, I'm like what did I do? <laughs> if if you don't mind, share because I I know some of I I know that you've shared in our group some of the successes you had while while you were at Benefit Mall, and maybe you want to highlight a couple of them and just like what what that made you feel like, cause I know some of it dealt with being like in top salesperson in within the company and whatnot. How, how did that make you feel to go again, maybe looking a little back, a little backwards at the things you had to endure to get to where you are. Yeah. And then in such a short period of time, seeing the success that you've experienced at, you know, this, this relatively new endeavor at Benefit yeah. Mall. I, um, so the first year that I was there, I was one of the top three rookies in the company, which was very, very cool. Um, that was one of my goals. And the two people who were ahead of me, um, they were from within the industry and they were awesome. I loved them. Like I loved competing with them. They were so much fun, like to be in that, in that field with, but um, they both came from within industry. So had the knowledge and the contacts already. So even though I didn't come in in the number one spot, I was really proud to be third to the, the first and the second because they were just they were on their game so i was like the fact that i'm in that realm was super like i was really really proud of that um but yeah i was top three my first year i was a top rookie in our region so the new york city metro area region um and i made every single trip for the three years that i was there so i had qualified for it the first year that i was able to qualify for it we had a mid-year trip that i qualified for again and then um, qualified for it again. And then the second into the third year that I was there, I actually got promoted into management. So as a selling manager and I had a team and that last quarter in that last year that we were there, we were actually the number one team in percentage for the country, which was another really, really proud moment because I had a team of all relatively new people to pay for. I think I was the most tenured out of our whole group and I had only been there about three years. And the fact that, I mean, we had, again, we were the highest in percentage in the entire country was unbelievable to me that we were able to accomplish that. Um, and again, like our number one salesperson sold more than our entire, my entire team altogether. Like, so don't think that we sold the most, but we had the highest of our percentage was sold. Um, so I don't ever want anybody to think like, wow, you were able to sell more than the country. No, no, but like we sold the most for what we were supposed to sell. Which means for me, we exceeded expectations more than anybody else exceeded expectations. And for me, like you have to know what your limitations are and you have to know, you have to set realistic expectations for yourself, for your team, for your students. That's huge for me is like, what are the realistic expectations and how do you exceed them to your best level? I don't expect somebody to come in and be the top salesperson. It's, it happens, but like, let's be realistic. So for me, for my team to blow our number out of the water more than any other team did, 
that's like the most that I could have ever asked for. And then our company got, um, our payroll section got bought by ADP. So we actually went out with that as our accolade, which was really great. <laughs> Drop the mic. And, uh, I, I wanted to go down from here because there's no more companies. So <laughs> perfect segue. I, I actually want to touch on that when, when Benefit Mall, I guess, you know, came under ADP. Um, and what was that sort of took you by surprise or, or how, how, how did you experience that? It did. It did. Um, and it's just the payroll section. Benefit Mall still exists in the insurance world um, as a general agency. And they're one of the best general agents. I think they're actually the largest general agency in the country. So I don't want anybody to think that, <laughs> that the general agency went under. Um, but yeah, Benefit Mall, the payroll company got bought by uh, ADP. And it was a surprise. I think a lot of us heard some rumblings, you know, going on, but nobody really knew. Um, and we have been really strong throughout the pandemic. Like we didn't have a lot of layoffs. We didn't have, um, you know, 401k match cut or salaries cut. We didn't have a lot of that going on, which was almost a little bit fishy considering we were a sales, you know, industry in payroll where we're dependent on employee counts and employees counts across the country were being slashed. So it was almost like fishy that we were doing so well. You know what I mean? That we didn't have a lot of disruptions. And that mixed with some of the rumblings and just from basic intuition, I kind of had a feeling something might have been maybe off, but didn't know until, until we knew. Now, about that experience, right? Hey, you get, you get a, an email or a letter, however it, however it occurred. Adios, like we're, we're, we're saying goodbye to this arm. It's with a new company. Um, you know, a lot of people may have been irked by it, like oh, the rug pulled out underneath me. What am I going to do? Um, but you've come out pretty resilient in this. I, I you know it, you shared a little bit about, again, in, in the group that we're in. Why don't you take us through that? Like, again, maybe, maybe in contrast to a few years ago when it was like the Royal Rumble in your life, but now again, another, another occurrence, not a challenge that appeared, but how, how did you experience this challenge and then moving forward into Paycor? Yeah. You know, it was the same thing. It was like, I've been through... I don't want to say worse, right? But I've been through other upheavals where you have to figure it out. And, you know, now I'm, I'm not in that same place where it hits you like a tidal wave anymore. Now it's just like, okay, you know what to do. Like rely on your resources, rely on your own inner resiliency. You are not brand new to the industry anymore. You have a lot of clout at this point. And you also have a lot of um, resources, like as far as networking goes. So it's like, who, who do you know? Who can you call on? Who can you say, hey, listen, I need a job. Um, or I'm looking for different opportunities. And every time something for me, and this, I actually learned this from playing soccer. I played soccer all my life. So I've had a ton of different coaches and trainers and I was an actor for a while. So I've worked with a lot of different directors. And every time you get an opportunity to start something new, whether it's a new team or a new coach, trainer or show, you always get to learn something new and it always takes you to the next step. So for me, every time something changes or we get a new boss, right? Cause I mean, how many times has that happened in sales? Somebody leaves and you get new, new leadership. For me, I always take that as, okay, cool. This is somebody else for me to learn from. This is another way for me to move forward and grow. Like that's really for me and Richard, I've learned this over the 34 years I've been on this planet. Like those are all opportunities none of those times is a slam in, in the face. No door is ever slamming in your face. They're always opening. Every time something changes, it's a door is opening and you have to look at it that way. And then you have to walk through the threshold. You know, like if a door is opening, you can't stand in that other room. You got to walk through the door because otherwise 
you're going to miss out on whatever that next room is, whatever the next opportunity is. So I, um, I had always been, and this is another reason why, like, it's bad to burn your bridges. You always want to have a good reputation with people. You want to live by like your own rules of ethics and integrity because you don't know when you're going to be out on your ass. And then, you know, if you go up against somebody or you're talking to somebody and they're like, wow, you were really a jerk last time I talked to you a year ago, you don't know where you're going to be in your life. You don't know when you're going to need to rely on other people. And like, you want to leave a trail behind you of like goodness that like you leave the room people go, oh, I really liked her. Or I really like talking to her. I really trust her or, you know, and if you do that, then when you're in these kinds of positions, you're always going to be able to continue moving forward because you're not then fighting yourself to go forward. You have a whole life of, of resiliency that you've built up behind you that you can rely on. Um, so that's kind of just what I did. I was like, okay, time to change. Excited. Here we go. Like <laughs> that's, it's, And I know it sounds super cheesy, but it's like, that's the really the way that I approach life. It's like, okay, what's new opportunity? Because life doesn't stay still. What they say, like the only constant is change, right? I'm full of these, by the way, I'm full of these. So get ready. Start um, working on that book uh, yeah. or a calendar, a calendar. Um, so now, now Paycor, just if you want to walk us through that experience, right? It's a little different in, in sales, in the payroll, HR world, consultancy, but you're dealing with slightly different clientele, maybe larger, larger organizations. Um, maybe take us through what contrast that with benefit mall, but also like how you're thinking and how you're looking at what you're doing now. It's all, yeah. I, I, from the outside looking at, I don't want to put words in your mouth. It's almost like a court, take an athlete that's been playing on a team kind of like, all right, you know what? I'm going to new team, new thing. I'm going to handle this playbook and like, create something brand new, a new kind of offense. Yeah. Like, so, so what, what's, what, what's it been like at Paycor? Well, it's been interesting because it really, even though like I got, you know, I, I'd say people, I don't ever say I left Benefit Mall. I say Benefit Mall left me. Right. So when Benefit Mall stopped being Benefit Mall, I was actually, um, I had always been approached by other companies, right. In sales, you always get approached by other people to work for you. Um, so I had a couple offers on the table. And when I was ending with Benefit Mall, I was already kind of working in some bigger, with bigger clients. And I knew that that was where I wanted to take my next step, whether that was with Benefit Mall and I wanted to focus on larger clients or whether that meant leaving Benefit Mall and working with larger clients. I realized that now, like the way that I approach things and being able to see bigger picture, I'm actually, um, I loved working with small businesses, but the complexities of larger businesses actually really suits the way my brain wraps around an idea. Um, cause I can see the big picture and then get into the details of how we make that big picture happen without just putting band-aids on everything. It's just not the way I do things. Um, so it's really where I wanted to go. So I had gotten, um, I'd been in conversations with other companies and wasn't entertaining them because I loved working for benefit mall until I had to have the conversation and said, Hey, are you know, are you guys, are you guys still interested? <laughs> um, so it was really, it was really like the right time for me to make the move anyway. And so it just kind of worked out that um, the companies that I was being courted by, they, they were suited to selling for bigger companies. And the reason I chose Paycor was because the things I loved about Benefit Mall were also things that they held strong at Paycor. So the way they treated their clients, the way they go through bringing on a new client, um, the service model, the way that we're supposed to interact with our new clients and our prospects, all of that stuff for me, I was like, if a company isn't, if that's not part of their values and not part of their sales process, I can't do it. I'm still a teacher at heart. I'm still, hey, why don't you come for extra help and sit with me and I'll go through it with you. 
that's still who I am. Like I'm never going to not be that person. So if I'm working for a company that doesn't foster that, I can't do it. It's just, it's not true to who I am. So PayCorps really, really emphasized that. And I knew that because of the way they treated me in the interview process. They took their time with me. They went through a lot of stuff with me. I'd been talking to them. They'd been trying to get me for like a year beforehand. The way they followed up, there was never pressure. It really felt like a, um, it was a soft sale all the time, let's be real. But like it was, it was a well-fostered sales process really to get me to come on board. And then I did all of my interviews via Zoom. I did all of my onboarding via Zoom. I did all of my training via Zoom. So everything was virtual. And just the way that they handled it and the way that they handled me and the way that top leadership was reaching out to me throughout the, the training process and still do, I was like, this is a company I want to work for because it's like people come, I don't want to say people come first, it's still a business, right? But like, you know, the people are really truly valued. Um, and that was super important to me. And I know that I get to now treat my clients that way because it's the way our company is run. Um, and it's the way it's been, I felt the same way at Benefit Mall. And now we're working with bigger clients. We have bigger technology. There's different integrations. I don't want to say it's a better product because it's two different companies, but it's almost like a level up, but in the same, but it has the same values, which for me is just, I'm, it was so the right move. <laughs> so it's almost like Benefit Mall being sold forced me out the door into, again, forced me out that door that was open and into the next level of my career, which I'm really, really excited about. Being that just, if you want to share like a quick tip, because a lot of, again, a lot of the people that, uh, according to my anal analytics, who listen to <laughs> podcasts end up being like business owners, whatnot, a lot of BNI members abroad, affiliate marketers. Um, what, what would you say are it like, cause sales is something that everybody needs. Right? Every business owner needs like learn sales. What would you say is one of the biggest things that maybe people who had worked on your team that a, a, a quality or a skill that they really needed to hone in on or, or leverage to become like a superstar salesperson? That's a great question. I think, I mean, everybody's going to say hard work, right? And they're going to throw out buzzwords like accountability and discipline. And those are all true, right? Work hard, be self, be accountable for yourself and have discipline to get the job done. For me, I think honesty and transparency above everything else. Be honest with yourself about your own abilities and where your weaknesses and your strengths are. Like you have, like me, I know cold calling, not my strength. Networking, definitely a strength. Going to see somebody in person, definitely a strength. So right now it's a little challenging because of what we're doing, but I'm honest with myself enough to know, I know that this is where I struggle. I know that this is where I'm strong. So I know where I can lean on in my own skills. And you have to be honest with your boss. Like if, you know, in your higher ups in your team, if you say, Hey, I'm, I struggle here, or I'm not having an easy time with this, or I sent out that email campaign and got nothing back. Like you have to be able to have those conversations in order to get better. If you're not having those conversations, nobody's going to know where to help you, nor are they going to want to, because they know that you're blowing smoke. And as a leader, you have to be transparent as transparent as you can. I know that obviously legal is involved, which you'd know better than I would, but <laughs> As a leader, you have to be transparent with your people because you can smell BS on anybody, whether you're a high school student and it's your teacher, or whether you're an employee and you're the employer, or you know all the way up the line. You know when somebody's not being honest with you. So as a leader, you have to let, you have to be transparent enough where your team trusts that you have their best interests in mind and you're not just like leading them down a dark hallway. 
for nothing. You lead them down the dark hallway if you're like, trust me, the other end is going to be great. But like, you know, you have to have that kind of trust. So I just think being honest and transparent up and down the chain both ways is the most important, again, besides accountability, discipline, hard work, motivation, all of that. I, I want to start like wrapping up because you've been very generous, generous with your time and thoughts, but along the same lines, and maybe you touched on it a little bit, when people interact with you, I'm always curious about like, one of the reasons I did this podcast and created because I want to know people's stories, right? And like when people interact with you, whether it's professionally, personally, what do you, what do you want them to say when you leave the room about Michelle Dana? Um, I, this is funny. Like, oh, I trust her. Like that they're comfortable with me. I think that that for me is, is probably like the biggest compliment of somebody's like, I was really comfortable talking to you. Um, I think that's really important that people know that I end up being the person that people go to, to vent or for advice in every walk of my life. And for me, that's one of the highest compliments because I want people to know that like, I'm a safe space, right? You can come here and you can talk to me and you know, you're going to get the honest opinion sometimes, whether you like it or not, or I'll be your biggest cheerleader if that's what you need that day. But I want people to know, like, or to feel that they're comfortable with me and that they can trust me and that, you know, they'll always get the real answer from me and that they can have like the real life experience with me. And that's not, you know, BS. That's it. Let's just awesome. all the other fluff. Like, let's just be who we are. I mean, like authenticity is, yeah. is, is something that I like, it, it's taken me personally a long time. And it's still, it's, it's like an ongoing battle, ongoing journey, but like, authenticity certainly is a same thing for me it's like i want people to feel comfortable feel like richard i can i can like talk to him so i appreciate you sharing that and michelle i appreciate you sharing your time all your thoughts i had a very like this was a glamorous conversation um learning i mean maybe didn't learn about payroll which we can do that on a, on a follow-up so but really about your story Who wants to talk about payroll call me. <laughs> <laughs> it's very exciting i'm here to talk about it <laughs> Very cool. Well, again, Michelle Dana, HR and payroll consultant with Paycor. I want to thank you again for all your time uh, and thoughts here on the podcast. And if I can yield the floor to you one last time, if you have any parting words, any maybe good connects uh, that anyone who may be listening may be a good uh, someone to get in touch with you. So feel free and, and share what you got to share. Yeah, um, I really love working with nonprofits. That's probably going to come as no surprise. I know that um, they're very cost conscious and I know that they don't want to be oversold, but they need stuff that works for them because they have to have insight. Uh, I love, love working with nonprofits. So if anybody knows of a nonprofit who could really use some help with how they're managing their, um, their people and they want to do it better, but want to know they're doing it the right way, give me a call. Awesome. And uh, just as we're wrapping up, are there any particular ways that, and I'll link them up in the show notes, but any way, again, someone that may want to reach out to you and maybe connect with you or connect with you, someone, what's a great way to get in touch with Michelle Dana? Cell phone and email. Got Cell phone and email. I will give you my phone number. It's 551 <laughs> <laughs> Call me up. I mean, listen, it's on my LinkedIn. Call me, email. Right. Email me. mdana at paycord.com. Email me, email me, email me, email me. I will email you back. Very cool. Again, Michelle Dana, thank you so much. For your time. Uh, I really, really appreciate this conversation. Richard, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Awesome. And with that, AR Nation, until next time, take care, be well. Bye for now. Hey there, AR Nation. Before we go, I wanted to remind you of the Super Affiliate Accelerator. 
Whether you're looking to get started with an online business or if you're struggling to see the traction you've been hoping for in your current online business, the Super Affiliate Accelerator can help you see the success that you want in your business and in your life. The Super Affiliate Accelerator is an all-in-one, high-ticket marketing community where you'll get access to proven training, weekly coaching and mentoring from seasoned and accomplished marketers who've sold millions of dollars in products and services online, as well as access to a private mastermind community of like-minded and supportive business owners and professionals. Right now, the SAA coaches are offering a free complimentary business strategy call. So if you're ready to build a strong and profitable online business and brand, take advantage of the complimentary business strategy call today and learn more about the Super Affiliate Accelerator by visiting richardkiston.com forward slash SAA.